The following audio is from The Grove Church. For more information about the church or to listen to previous sermons, visit our website at grove.church. It's such a fun Sunday last Sunday, and if you knew, some of you heard some of the stories, but there were stories that weren't even shared because some people are terrified in front of groups, but um, man, so cool to see that. And I tell you what, if that ever gets old, something has gone terribly wrong. So such a fun, fun Sunday. Um, Hey, we're going to be in Hebrews 11 today. If you got a Bible with you, go ahead and turn there. I want to say this, and I often do. If you own a Bible, I really want to encourage you to bring it on Sundays and become familiar with the pages. And like mine, you can underline, you can highlight. It's okay. Nothing wrong with that. Um, If you don't own a Bible, and of course there's one there in the seat in front of you, if you don't own one, use that one today and then take it home with you. We want everybody to have a Bible. And um, uh, Hebrews is quite a ways through the Bible, so you're going to turn a lot of pages towards the back almost. Um, But uh, chapter 11, and of course if you have a smartphone with a Bible app, that's an easy way to look it up and you can do that too. Um, Growing up, and, and this may shock some of you, but growing up, um, I, was, I was a pretty smart aleck kid. Um, <clears throat> I appreciate the mean laugh. Thank you for that. So anyway, see, I told you I was. But anyway, um, but uh, I, I, was, I was a smart aleck kid. My parents had another word for it, but I won't say it in church because it seems a little, uh, I shouldn't. But, um, and, and by the way, it does not bode well for marriage either because I didn't necessarily outgrow it entirely. But, um, you know, if you've ever been staring a certain direction and you're, you're maybe thinking about something but somebody thinks you're staring at them and they're, they're like what are you looking at like that is low-hanging fruit for a smart aleck you know it's like you know well, a monkey escaped from the zoo I mean you know what do you want or you know what are you looking at not much um but um you know I'm sure nobody else in here can relate right so nobody else. yeah I figured um, but the question uh, it comes up, and, and I want to ask it as we dive into the Bible today. In fact, that's, that's basically the question that I want you to ask all throughout this message, um, and then eventually throughout the rest of your life. We're going to observe Moses, and um, many of you are familiar with Hebrews 11. If you've read the Bible uh, for any length of time, or been in church for any length of time, uh, it's a pretty well-known chapter, I guess, kind of called the Hall of Faith But um, we're going to get to Moses here, and in verse 24, it says this, By faith, Moses, Hebrews 11, 24, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt, because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. God, today I want to stop and pray, and and as we do on Sundays, just inviting your work in our lives for every one of us, whether it's it's a first-time visitor or, or we've been around, that, God, you would do something in all of us. And I believe our ability to gather on a day like today and, and, and walk through the scriptures a bit, that it can, God, I think, help us become even just a little bit more like you. And so I just pray for that. I kind of surrender in all of our hearts that, that you would do something in us to help us see differently. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I mentioned, this is Hebrews 11, and it's, it's the faith chapter. Um, verse 6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he's the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so over and over as you look at this chapter and, 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 and you, you hear this by faith, you're going to hear, By faith, Abel. By faith, Enoch. By faith, 
Noah. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Sarah. By faith, Isaac. By faith, Jacob. And then you get to here in verse 24, by faith, Moses. It's that they trusted even though they couldn't always see physically what was going on. They lived abnormally doing what others would think is absolutely crazy. And, and so as you look at this idea of faith and this story of Moses, this is a snippet obviously from Hebrews 11. It, it originates back in the second book of the Bible, the book of Exodus. It's really all about the nation of Israel, but it's about Moses leading the nation of Israel. And so it starts in chapter 1, and it's a time in, in the history of Egypt where the Hebrews, the Israelites, have become at this point slaves in Egypt. If you go back in Genesis a few chapters before Exodus 1, it's a story of Joseph. And Joseph ends up second in command of all of Egypt under Pharaoh, and, and he invites his whole family because of a severe famine to come to Egypt and be well taken care of, and they are. Well, that Pharaoh passes away, another Pharaoh rises to power, and all of a sudden he becomes jealous that the Hebrews, the Israelites, are multiplying so rapidly that, that he realizes they're going to be a force to contend with if we don't deal with this. So first, he puts them to hard labor, and, and it's terrible, and they're miserable, and they're basically, at this point, slaves. And then, as they continue to multiply, he gets so frustrated that he makes an edict. He decides that every male baby that's born needs to be killed. And so, um, that's exactly the, the situation that, that Moses comes into the conversation with. Egypt, at this point, is in a time of crazy prosperity. And, and Moses here is born, and his mom hides him and raises him for a little while until she realizes she can't get away with this for very long. And then she knows where the, the, the ladies of Pharaoh's court come down to the river to bathe. And so she puts together this kind of basket that floats and, and kind of ships them down river a little ways over that direction where they bathe, knowing that they'll be there at some point. And that's where we pick up, just, and you don't have to turn there, but briefly here in Exodus 2. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, so again, big sister, Moses' big sister, is watching this whole deal and isn't far away, and it says, his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me and I'll pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. So his own mom nurses him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses saying, I drew him out of the water, which would later be a prophetic verse about the nation of Israel up at the Red Sea and it parting and then being delivered um, for, through water. Hebrews reminds us that at this time, Moses grows up in Pharaoh's court. So here's Moses. He's a Hebrew, but he's enjoying all the luxury of, 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 of Egyptian royalty, and it's, it's great. And, and yet it's a difficult time to be a Hebrew, and yet he knows where he came from. He's not unfamiliar of his heritage. And, and at a point, the window that we're getting in Hebrews 11 is this. When Moses had grown up, he refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Verse 25 says, he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoy the pleasure of sin for a short time. Can we all be honest in here? 
When it comes to things that are sin in our lives, things that entice us, there, there's something, and, and even Hebrews recognizes this, there's something enjoyable about it. It, it. Temptation wouldn't be temptation if it was miserable. Temptation is temptation because we're like, I want that, and yet God doesn't want me to go that direction. God doesn't want me to do that. And so the, the confession of Hebrews is Moses could have enjoyed the fleeting pleasure of sin. I love the wording there. It's the, the, the confession, sin is fun, but it's only going to last a season. Because the other thing that we all need to know about sin, missing the mark, not doing what God wants, that it's a trap. That there's a time where the fun wears out and all of a sudden you find yourself addicted. You find yourself in bondage. You find yourself far from what God designed for your life. And so here's Moses and he made a decision to do what was difficult rather than enjoy what was easy. The question for you and me is that very thing. Are we willing to do what's difficult or do we just want to enjoy what's easy? Will we choose the easy path or will we choose the right path? Because they're not often the same thing. Will you choose the easy path or will you choose the right path? Moses chose Christ. Moses chose the right thing. The writer of Hebrews literally says it's Christ that he was, he was looking towards, and I'm going to get to that in just a moment. But the question for you is, will you choose the easy path or the right path? Will you stay in the marriage even though things get really rocky and you're going, maybe we should file? Because here's the thing you need to know. I, I've heard for years and I've, I've read on marriage and listened to things on marriage for, for years, and, and some of us have been in marriage for a long time. That, that those that go through the rockiest seasons of marriage but pay the price to figure out how to get through it, 85% of couples that endure it on the other side of it say they're, they're better off than they were in the early days of their marriage. If they pay the price. And, and so will, will you stay in the marriage even though it's hard? As a parent, Will you process with your child things that might be going wrong or decisions that they made that weren't right or problems that are going on? Or will you simply yell and slam the door and you're the parent so you can get away with it? Or will you pay the price to have the conversations that need to be had to keep the relationship alive but to still deal with the issues in the right way? If you're a single person in here, will you keep the moral boundaries that God would ask you to keep even though you're tempted to push those boundaries because it feels good? Like he's saying this in church, absolutely, why would I skirt this? If we're all honest, there's all kinds. We can go back to single days for some of us that are married and some of you that are still in single days and there's no doubt every one of us has felt tempted to push the boundaries. And we're not going to skirt it because it's uncomfortable. It's simply a reminder, will we choose by faith to trust that when God says, hey, keep within these parameters until you're married and then enjoy the physical aspects of the relationship because later on you will experience the joy of it or will you go, well, I mean, we love each other. Well, I mean, we probably would get married even though right now we're only 16, 17. Well, you know, we chose to live together because it's just easier and financially it makes way more sense. Or will we, by faith, trust that God's got a better plan and if we're willing to surrender to what he desires, we can experience the blessing of what he asks of us by faith. Some simple ones. Will we keep the old phone 
even though the new one came out, and yeah, it might be 800 bucks, 1,000 bucks, but are we willing to simply go, you know what, I just don't think it's in our budget to spend. If it is, great. But sometimes we just assume we gotta have it. Easy one. Is there anybody you've been praying for that they would give their life to faith in Christ? Will we be obedient to what God would say and at some point bring up the conversation about faith or simply say, hey, I got a church I go to. I would love to have you join me sometime. Will we do that? Or do we cower away in, in fear? Will we finish the de- the degree? Will we finish high school? Will we finish the home project? Will we finish the Bible reading plan? Had to get that in there. <laughs> it's, it says this, by faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasure of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt. Because, what does it say there? He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was... What? Don't just say it to me. Preach it to me. Because what? He was looking ahead. It's what he was looking at. Turn to your neighbor right now and say, what are you looking at? See, I'm trying to start a fight in here. What are you looking at? You can add another word to it. What are you looking at, nerd? What are you looking at? The question I have for you today is simply this. What are you looking at? For Moses, it said he could have fixed himself, fixed his gaze. He could have been looking at all of the treasures of Pharaoh, all of the treasures of a prosperous nation, all of the joy of all that he could have had. And yet it says he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because what? He saw him who is invisible. It says Moses saw. It says Moses was looking to his reward. He was looking to something else. More than once, this writer brings up what Moses was looking at. That's faith. By faith, I choose to work through the bumpy parts of marriage. By faith, I choose to create the boundaries that I believe God would have me create around my life. By faith, I choose, and you can fill in the blank for your own life because sin is pulling you, because depression can overwhelm you, because circumstances can take and get uh, get the best of you. All of this can happen, but the question becomes, what are we looking at? Are we gonna gaze at that thing that pulls us to the wrong stuff, or are we gonna fix our gaze upon Jesus. It's way too quiet in here. It's driving me crazy. (laughs) Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let me remind you that throughout Hebrews 11, by faith, and it names Enoch and Abraham and David and Rahab and all of these people, and it says, therefore, since we're surrounded... 
The picture I want to paint for you that I've said before in here is this, that you and I today are in the arena of life, but we're surrounded by a whole host of individuals that have already gone before us, that they've paid the price. They've crucified their flesh. They've laid down those things that they would have wanted for the sake of Christ. And it says, therefore, since you and I are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses because they could do it so can i it says let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us fix our eyes on jesus it says let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us fixing our eyes on jesus What are you looking at? We're surrounded by people that have gone before us that have done it right. And there are families in this room that you have a lineage of parents that love Jesus and grandparents that love Jesus and great-grandparents that love Jesus. And I'm so glad you have that because they've gone before you. And maybe they weren't perfect, but, but neither were any of these individuals in the Bible read the stories. Certain points, you're like, why are they such an idiot? Because they're human. But they've gone before us, laying down those things that would hinder what God called them to do, even when it was hard. Moses is a great example of it could have enjoyed the pleasure of a palace and all the rights of the royal court. All of it. Nope. I want to identify with Christ. Are we willing to do that? Do we, in fact, do that? Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance. I love the word picture here because again, it goes back to the arena and the games and competing, running. And if you think about the best way to run is not with sandbags, although I've done that before. The best way to run is is unhindered. The best way to run is is not with a bunch of weights strapped to you. The best way to run effectively to win is to set that stuff aside. And that's what this writer says. He says, "Don't, don't allow sin to burden you down. Be free from it. Crucify your flesh. Get rid of that. He goes on to say, let us run with perseverance. The race marked out for us. What does it say? Fixing our gaze, fixing our eyes. Where is our focus? What are you looking at? What are you looking at? When sin comes to tempt you, when when, when you feel that pull to to do what you shouldn't do, when that whisper in your head goes, no, 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 that's not the right thing, and you find yourself staring at it, what are you going to do? It says fix your gaze on Jesus to live in anger and unforgiveness, to live compromising a standard that God wants for you in a relationship. Choosing the easy path or the right path. 
has everything to do with where we fix our gaze. I'm reminded over and over because in John 1 it says that, that Jesus is the Word. And so when you read the Bible, you're, you're literally spending time directly with Jesus. And I'm reminded over and over in the Bible that to fix our gaze on Jesus is to be reminded to stir ourselves up for God has not given me a spirit of fear but of power, love, and a sound mind. Even use your tired and weary and young men stumble and fall but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They'll mount on wings as eagles. They'll run and not be weary. They'll walk and not be faint. That over and over, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. But God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he will provide a way out so you can stand up under it over and over and over. These verses that stir us up that, God, I want my gaze to be you. Where are you fixing your eyes? What are you looking at? Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Listen, listen to this phrase. When it says author, another translation says the pioneer. The one who first made a way so that you could make your way. See, it, it all centers around Jesus and not just that, that, that he said to the disciples, I got to go away so that the Holy Spirit can come. That's great and we need the Holy Spirit to, to guide and convict and all those things and comfort and stuff. But, but don't forget, as the pioneer, it was the price paid on the cross. It was that Jesus died so that you and I could be forgiven of our sin. That there's no other sacrifice for sins. And again, go back in Hebrews early on. And that's what the writer says. There's no other, there's nothing else. That Jesus is the pioneer of your faith because he made a way through the cross. He made a way by dying so that you and I could have that fresh start. So you and I could have that new beginning. So you and I could draw the line in the sand and say, I am a child of God because I've invited Jesus in to forgive me of all of my sin. That he's the pioneer. He's the one that made the way so you could go there. But it also says he's the perfecter. Maybe it seems like an odd word, but what it means is he's the one that is continuing to shape our faith day after day after day after day. And so the, the, the Holy Spirit, part of the, the third member of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us, another translation talks about the Spirit of Jesus inside of us is continuing to help us walk on this journey of listening to conviction of obeying the things that God says, of doing the things that he desires. He's the author, but he's also the perfecter. And I love that that phrase is in here. It says, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Okay, this is where I become a pitch man. You're like, you were that 10 minutes ago. Here's what it is. When it says for the joy set before him, for Jesus specifically, it was the reminder that, that eventually there would be an ultimate joy, but he had to endure the cross first. And you know what? You and I don't need to be crucified physically by any stretch. But we need to be willing, as I've already said, to crucify our flesh. But here's what it is. For the joy 
set before us. There will come a day. There's there's all kinds of things that you and I will face. There's all kinds of issues and and, and challenges and things we'll go through in this life, and, and you can name them for your life far better than I can. But it says, for the joy set before, again, it's that thing that, that eventually there's going to be a payoff. Eventually, there's going to be the joy of enduring, but I've got to pay the price to get there. I've got to pay the price in order to arrive at the part where it says joy. And so I believe for every one of us, if we're willing to pay the price for this season, we will get to the joy. Now, this is where it gets tricky because you go, oh yeah, I've heard that before and I've been in this for a lot of years now and I've not got to the joy yet. I have great news for you. It's coming. That didn't sound like good news. That sounded like a cop-out. I'm a firm believer that if we endure what God asks of us, that there is joy coming. And I know that this sounds like a cop-out. For some of you, that joy is far sooner than you can imagine. For some of you, that joy, here's the cop-out, is eternity. You go, great, how far is that away? I'm just simply reminded that the writer says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. But it's not written to Jesus. It's written to you and me because it's true. There are some that you have been walking through this enduring the cross for a long time. And I am absolutely not here to tell you tomorrow's your day. I'm not here to tell you later on today, guys, as soon as we dismiss, it's all good. I am here simply to remind you that we've got to hold on to the truth in the midst of the enduring. But I'm a firm believer for every one of us that it's coming. And I, I won't let go of that. For the joy that would come later, he endured. What would it look like if you fixed your gaze on Jesus? What would it look like in your current circumstances? Whatever temptation, whatever issue, whatever relational, whatever it is for you. Physical ailments. The examples are endless in this room. I know that. What would it look like for you to fix your gaze on Jesus and endure it? Think about it right now. How does it change how you face tomorrow? How does it change how you face this diagnosis? How does it change how you face the marriage? How does it change how you face your relatives? How does it change how you face this fall? How does it change all of it? The question becomes, what are you looking at? How does it change? If I look to Jesus, I mean, I trust more and not freak out as much. If I fix my gaze on Jesus, Maybe instead of throwing out a whole bunch of cuss words and yelling at somebody, I'd have more patience. Maybe instead of walking through this issue of being a diagnosis and doctors and tests and is this the end and what is happening and panicking and freaking out, how does it change that you might have to walk through that? How does it change you fill in the blank? the temptation, 
the test of your faith. The request by the Holy Spirit in your heart to take a step and do something bold. How does it change that? Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's the picture of completion. The work was done. How does that look for all of us? What does it look like for you, Father, today? When I look at the life of Moses and what he chose to do, it was far more difficult than what we could put in our heads. It's like any one of us, I don't know, winning the lottery, I guess, and all of a sudden we have all this, we say, you know what, I don't want any of it. All of a sudden, born into royalty, born into a rich family, saying, you know what, instead of identifying with all the lap of luxury, all that is, I want to serve the poor, I want to help the downtrodden. I want to deal with the addicted. I want to encourage the broken. God, what does it look like in the world that we live in? God, we're, we're, we're from communities in this room right now. That there are so many ways that we can be part of the answer by faith. God, I pray that the question would ring in our heads, I don't know, maybe for the rest of our lives. What are you looking at? That every time we hear it, what are you looking at? Every time we see it in a movie, what are you looking at? Every time somebody asks us that, what are you looking at? That we're reminded, fix your gaze on Jesus. Fix intently. With purpose. Choosing to trust by faith. What does it look like in the world that we live every day? How does it change the way that we face whatever we face? You know, with your heads bowed, I guess, and maybe some of you don't have them bowed, some of you do. But some of you in here today, we, we talk about Jesus at church, and last week we did baptisms, and we talked about people committing to their lives to faith in Christ, and there's people in this room now that you go, I don't know where I'm at in that conversation. Some of you are maybe even new today. Some of you may have been here for a while, you've been down the road, or, or whatever it is, but, but some of you can't even answer, like, where are you at with Jesus today? And if you don't know how to answer that question, I want to just simply offer you a new start. Again, this isn't about some amazing words or or whatever. It's just about going, you know what? I've been down this path in my life and I realized that it wasn't the right way. That Jesus cared enough to pay the price for every single one of us. But, But as the scriptures remind us, it's an invitation to you, but now you've got to walk through the door. And walking through the door is simply believing that Jesus paid the price for your sin. Not just believing it, but inviting Jesus to be your Lord. God, come into my life. Forgive me of all of that. I need a fresh start today. And if you're in here today and you would answer the question, I'm not sure where I'm at. Maybe you've done church in the past or maybe you've never really been a part of church. Whatever, it doesn't matter. If you're in here today and you would go, I don't know where I'm at in this conversation. 
but you would say, I want to say yes to Jesus. I want a fresh start today. If that's you in here on the count of three, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. One, two, three. Where are you at? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Anyone else? You can put your hands down. Anyone else? I saw twelve. If you raised your hand, would you pray with us? And again, if you've prayed this prayer before, I just want you to pray alongside of us. But if you raise your hand in particular, just repeat after me. It's not that the words are all perfect, but it's just uh, believing in what Christ has done and inviting him to be your Lord. Just say, Jesus, thank you for all you've done. Come into my life. I could use that fresh start. I need a clean slate today. I can't pay my way out. I need you. Forgive me of all of my sin. Thank you for a clean slate today. I want to follow you. Be in my life. In Jesus' name, amen. And Father, for the rest of us, God, I pray that we would constantly be sensitive to the work of your spirit. We would fix our gaze upon you. That in those moments of weakness, those moments of temptation, those moments where we don't feel like we can forgive, where the circumstances are overwhelming, God, whatever it might be, I pray that we would fix our eyes on you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Podcast. If you want to keep up to date with us, like us on Facebook or sign up for our e-newsletter at grove.church.